At, actually, uh, before the first service, when I, I, I was bringing this, this sack up from McDonald's, uh, Joe Barden, our choir director, looked at it and said, oh, I guess it's going to be a long sermon today. Yeah. <laughs> Brought your lunch. I said, yeah, let's see. Let's, I got that down there, Joe. Let's see, Barden. Uh, anyway, um, yes, these days, uh, we are, on these Sundays, we are walking with Jesus. And uh, we, if we read the Scriptures, what we can see is that uh, Jesus and his disciples would walk everywhere they go, and there's this progression of the story as it unfolds in the Gospels of where when we get closer and closer to the time when he's going to be crucified, it's like time starts to speed up, and it begins to point. There's certain turning points in there that, that turn Jesus toward the cross, and this is one of those turning points today where today, as we walk with Jesus, we find ourselves in a synagogue in the town of Capernaum. And uh, in these days, as he's doing this, and, and his days are winding down, where is he to be found but teaching the people? Now, a synagogue was a house of learning. And what they would do is it would be you know, much like this place here, uh, but uh, if, if a traveling teacher happened to come to the synagogue, especially one that had the celebrity and notoriety of, a, of Jesus, they would invite him to come on up and be the guest teacher for the day. So Jesus was invited to come on up to be the guest teacher of the day. And uh, it was no ordinary day that he was invited to come forward and do that. Instead, it was uh, a Sabbath that was the Passover, which means that when Jesus came up and, and whenever they would teach, what they would do is they'd have this scroll. Every synagogue would have their scroll of the Torah. And the teacher would be handed the scroll and they would read from the scroll and uh, then teach what that lesson was all about, kind of like what we're doing today. And uh, because it was the Passover, it means that the, the Scripture that he would be reading would be about the Exodus, when the people of Israel were f- set free from slavery in Egypt and crossed to the Promised Land. It took them 40 years to get there. And in the center and the heart and the soul of that story is how God provided for the people with manna manna from heaven, this bread from heaven, that every day the people would go out and uh, they'd wake up in the morning and there with the morning dew was this uh, strange stuff that turned out to be like bread that, was, that they could harvest. They could go out and harvest it out, out in the fields. And they'd bring it home and it would last for just one day. They'd have to eat it that day, except that in one instance, uh, they were told to put a little bit of manna into a jar and they put it into the Ark of the Covenant, which is you know, central to their faith, because they wanted to continue to remember how God had provided for them. So now here Jesus is teaching them about this manna, this what they called bread from heaven, is what they called it. And what they believed was that this bread from heaven came from this storeroom in heaven, that there was kind of this divine bakery that would make the, this, this bread that would come down from heaven that they would go out and they would gather up. So they viewed it as coming from the storeroom of heaven. And they believed that in the future, at some point in the future, there would be this second exodus, this second thing that would be ushered in with the Messiah when he would come, and that there would be this new age of blessings where the bread from heaven would come down again and they would be able to eat their fill from, from the storerooms of heaven. So now here Jesus comes and he stands in front of the synagogue and he's teaching the people about this. And uh, these are the same people, many of these people anyway, they're the same people who were with Jesus not too long before when Jesus miraculously fed the multitude of people that had gathered there 
with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. And he multiplied it so that the people could, could, could eat it. And they were just amazed by this miracle. And they, and they put it into the context of what they were looking forward to with this new bread coming and supplied from heaven. And they began to see Jesus as somebody that was highly unusual, somebody that was very special. So at the end of that miracle, after that miracle occurred, these same people said these words they, in John chapter 6, said, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, which means that they believed that he was maybe the Messiah even, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. They saw Jesus at the very least as being the one who might usher in this period when the Messiah would come. Now, so we're in the synagogue, and Jesus comes in, and the crowd, when they see Jesus, there is a a wave of excitement that goes through the crowd because this is the one who did this miracle and now he is going to teach on this subject. And in those days when, you know, they would do this, there would be kind of this give and take, kind of maybe like leading a Bible study or something like that where there's questions and things like that. So in John 6, verse 31, we catch up with that where somebody from the crowd says this, Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. And this is true. You know, Moses was just the vehicle. He wasn't the source of it. God the Father was the source of it. So he goes on in verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven comes from that storeroom, comes from heaven, and gives life to the world. Jesus, in other words, is the real blessing from heaven. And Jesus is trying to use this, this manna here as, as a, um, an analogy of who he is and the meaning that he has for the people that are gathered there. Sir, they said, in verse 34, from now on, give us this bread. They don't understand what in the world he's talking about. All that they're hearing is... I get unlimited food, which means that other than, you know, maybe paying for the rent or something like that, I don't have to work, you know? This is going to be great. It's kind of like, uh, really, it's very similar to the answer that the woman at the well gave or the request that she gave back when Jesus met this woman at the well in Samaria, and he was trying to describe to her a different analogy when he's saying um, that he's offering her this living water. She doesn't have to, you know, come here to the well anymore is what she's thinking. So she says, hey, I want this water forever. Give me this water. And now they're saying, give me this bread. What they're hearing is, I don't have to go to the grocery store anymore. This is great. I can retire fat and happy. This is wonderful. Give me this. But they don't know what in the world he's talking about because they're so earthbound in their focus. They're so narrowly focused. And their God is way, way too small. Now, for us, like them, you know, we need to expand our horizons a little bit because he's offering far more than what they think he's offering. They're too short-sighted. Now, earthbound people like us, you know, can wind up so focused on the here and now and the things for the moment, just the moment, that we miss the greater blessings that God is trying to give to us. Do you allow room? Do you allow room for God the God who can see all and, the, and can do far more than we can imagine. Do you allow room for that God to work? Do you allow room for God to be God? Is your God maybe too small? 
Verse 35. Then Jesus tries to clarify this for them. He, he sees that they're not quite getting it, getting it here, so he presses it a little bit further. He tries to be a little bit more clear. He says this, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He's trying to use that example of the manna coming down from heaven and saying, I'm like that. Okay? But because of their familiarity with Jesus and his family, they don't get it. They can't hear it. They got this other idea of who Jesus is. And uh, verse 41, they began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? We know where he came from. How can he say that? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus is trying to explain who he is, but they won't hear it. They're blind to it. And the only way that they're going to be able to see it, the only way that they're going to be able to hear it, is if, Jesus says, the Father draws them. It's a spiritual thing, which means that if you want more faith, pray for it because it's a spiritual battle. If you, and many of us here today do, know somebody, have somebody close to you, maybe a family member who doesn't know the Lord, who you, maybe you look at and say, how in the world can she possibly turn her back on the church? Here's the thing. Pray this specific prayer. God, draw her to you because it's a spiritual battle, and do not give up. I know many of us pray for people, people like that. Do not give up. Jesus then goes on to say, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. It was just temporary, just for the moment. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus was blowing their minds now, but he doesn't seem to care. He's giving them, in their view anyway, some really weird diet here. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you can have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And they are freaking out by this. It sounds like he's telling them to practice cannibalism. Now, this past week, I posted on our church Facebook site a question. I asked people to tell me... um, what is your favorite food or favorite restaurant? And you know what? Out of all of those people who responded, there was a number of people who responded, not a single person said that their favorite thing to eat was flesh or blood. I mean, it was amazing. You know, not a single one. As a matter of fact, what they did say, were they, they gave responses like this. Um, uh, one, salmon and pasties from the UP. Now, I, I had to figure this one out, okay, uh, not having been, you know, in Michigan more than, well, now I guess about six years. I should know this by now. But uh, I, get, I get the pasties mixed up with those things that are the, uh, 
you know, really expensive donuts that you get, um, whatever those things are. What are those things called? Okay, all right, yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, these, there's these foods here that you can get uh, in this area that you just can't get elsewhere. But, but anyway, you know, the, the pasties from the UP, I, under, I understand, too, the pasties were originally made. I was given a lesson at the last service about this, that they were originally made for miners that, so that they could eat them with their hands. And I'm picturing these guys with these dirty, grimy hands from mining trying to, you know, eat these things. I'm thinking, boy, that doesn't sound all that good either. But, but these things are good. Sue Lukasik makes these. Uh, every once in a while I get some of these things, and, man, they are good. Anyway, ham and cheese on rye at Zach's was another one. Anything Italian was another one. Crab cakes, grilled ribeye, three brothers pierogies. Man, these people can eat, you know. So what in the world is this diet that Jesus is recommending? Flesh and blood? Yuck. Not only did this sound like cannibalism to these people, but they could see that it it really sounded like Jesus was telling them to go out and disobey the law of Moses. Because with the law of Moses, not only are you not supposed to drink blood, for example, you're not even supposed to touch it. You know, you're not supposed to touch a dead body. If you do, you're considered to be unclean. And Jesus is saying, go out and drink it and eat it. I mean, it sounds really strange, and, and it's just too much for the people. So what do they do? They cover their ears, and they run from Jesus. They run as far away as they can get. The truth is, they don't, under, they don't under, understand what he's saying. But they think they do. They think they understand what he's saying. So they're not going to stick around for an interpreter here. Instead, what they do is they run away from him. These very same people who were trying to find him a short time before and were excited about his presence now are gone. This same teacher who a little while ago couldn't find a moment to get away by himself now is talking to an empty room because the people are gone. But in reality, I think it's difficult to understand this even 2,000 years later. So what is Jesus talking about? Let's take a look at the two main parts of what he's talking about here. First of all is that word flesh. Some people might think that Jesus really is talking here about the Lord's Supper. Okay, that's one way that we can view it, but that's really viewing back into it from our present time, you know, because the Lord's Supper hasn't taken place yet. The Last Supper hasn't taken place yet. Besides, in the, here he's talking flesh, using a completely different word from what he's using when he gives the words at the Lord's Supper when he talks body. Now, that can seem like splitting hairs, but we do need to be careful to read the Bible in the context of the Bible. And there what we see is this. Back in the first chapter of John, we see this passage. The Word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So he became one of us, right? It's like that bread from heaven coming down from the storeroom and coming into this world to be one of us. Jesus is that Word. And then he goes on in what we were just reading. In verse 51, this bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. It sounds sacrificial. What he's saying is, I'm going to be like a sacrificed animal given for your life so that you might live, is what he's saying. John the Baptist affirms that when he says, Behold, this is the Lamb of God, the one who's given. Flesh refers to Jesus. His body, his life that is given out so that you 
might live. Jesus' words at the Last Supper do much the same thing that these words do here. They point to Jesus. They point to what he does on the cross. They point to what his sacrifice is for us. Now, next are these words, eat and drink, which describes taking something into yourself. As we say these days, you are what you eat. You know, you eat healthy food, uh, which I think is why McDonald's these days is putting some healthier things into that Happy Meal. You know, um, if you eat healthy food, you'll probably feel better. If you, feel, if you eat junk food, you're going to feel great for the moment, you know, but, uh, but you know, over time, you're probably not going to feel so hot. So you are what you eat. It's what you take into yourself that matters. So Jesus is saying, take this into you. Take his life into your life so that it influences who you are, your attitude, your behaviors, what you do, what you think, how you see, how you hear. This is part of all of who you are. Put all these things together, and what Jesus is saying is this. Receive him. Receive his sacrifice on that cross. Let it enter you, make an impact on your entire being, and you will have life. John chapter 1, verse 11, puts it this way. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, and this is what it means to believe, by the way, it's not like people think today, belief is just simply having an opinion about who he is. No, belief, as it says here, is a matter of receiving him. As you would receive bread, as you would receive a happy meal, so that you receive it into your life and it becomes part of your cell structure, becomes part of who you are as a person. And he goes on to say, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So, Back in the synagogue, now almost empty synagogue, Jesus watches these people as they go angrily, loudly, leaving the synagogue because Jesus was not living up to their expectations. He was not what they expected or what they wanted. And now in the quiet of that synagogue, he turns to his disciples to ask this question in verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? And this is a turning point for all of the world. If they would leave, there would be no one left. No one to share the good news. No one to share that buffet that God is laying out. As Jesus watched these others leave, I I can imagine that there was a tear in his eye as they would not accept what he was offering to them. Who else would accept it? You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The same words that caused these other people offense were life to the ones who were called to him. Which means don't accept a half-baked faith. Don't accept a faith that only goes part of the way and is a diet that you put yourself on so that you only get a little bit of Jesus. Don't accept that because he's laid out a buffet in front of you. You and I need the bread from heaven. The point of Jesus' teaching here is the importance of receiving him. 
into life. If you've got that buffet set out before you, have got this whole beautiful, wonderful meal set out before you, but you do not receive any, any of it into your mouth, then it means nothing. But Jesus is saying, here's the buffet, the buffet of Jesus. Receive him. So the question for you this morning is this. Have you received Jesus into your life? Are you holding him at arm's length, or are you even running from him like those people in that synagogue because you don't understand? His words are too hard. Then today's the day. Today's the day to say, I receive you, Lord. Today is the day. Today's the day to allow him to get close. Today's the day for those rooms in your life that have been walled off to him to be opened up so that he might enter. Today's the day to give him authority in your life so that you might begin to know the real life that he has for you.